right. You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday morning. I feel like I should be queuing my Lion Rockers music because, really, you're about to hear an excerpt from our Saturday morning program, Lion Rockers. Now, it's a program where we hear some of the backstories of some of the familiar voices of Radio 3. And in the next 15 minutes or so, you'll hear a regular voice on many of our news programs. Um, during the COVID era, which for many of us was really a time of uncertainty and worry. You are likely to have heard him being quoted, uh, often giving us hope and also confidence. Professor Lau Yulong, he's the Chair Professor of Pediatrics from the Department of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine from the University of Hong Kong, talks a little bit more about his own resilience and how he's learned not to take anything for granted. And also uh, here he starts with his childhood. I was born in Jakarta, Indonesia, and so I'm the fourth generation there. Uh, but obviously, we moved to Hong Kong when I was very young. I moved to Hong Kong in the late 1950s. I think it's 59. Uh, so I'm also an immigrant, but, you know, for a long, long time. But of course, I didn't spend all that year since I moved to Hong Kong. I actually uh, went to uh, study and work in uh, United Kingdom when I was 16 years old. Do you come from a big family? Oh, enormous. I mean, during my time, uh, myself, I've had uh, six brothers and sisters. And the same for my wife. My wife is actually one of nine, and she, like myself, is also an overseas Chinese. Uh, she was born in Calcutta in India. So she also moved to Hong Kong in the early 60s because of the Indochina War. So at that time, her father is uh, one of the, the leaders in terms of some uh, manufacturing industry and a basic leather industry. So he was picked out by the Indian government and was <laughs> deported, basically chucked across the Himalayan <laughs> as a border. So at that time, the, the PLA uh, need to <laughs> retrieve him and, and, and took him all the way to Beijing. So at that time, uh, the government, of course, uh, Premier John Lai, uh, looked at that. And, and then, of course, he also made the decision for the family to move uh, down south uh, to Guangzhou and then to Hong Kong. So. So it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a legendary way <laughs> that how we meet as well, because we all came from the same tiny sort of a village. Um, uh, we are Hakka. So uh, both families originated uh, from Meixian, so that it's at the sort of a northeastern corner of Kwangtung province. But as you know, Hakka also is a bit legendary because we are Hakka, we actually move around a bit. So uh, we trace the history. We actually came from northern China, north um, western China, Xianxi, about a thousand years ago. And then I think for myself, my first stop uh, is, it is actually somewhere near, I think now it's called Xuzhou. At that time, it's called Pengcheng. It's, it's very near Shanghai, about 500 years ago. And then we moved from there to Meixian. So it's a, a kind of a long journey for us. And, and then, of course, about 100 plus, 150 years ago, it was so poor. And our great-grandfather need to move to Borneo, but he died before my grandfather uh, was born. So uh, basically, my great-grandmom need to raise uh, my father by herself in a very poor environment. And I went to visit my ancestral village, uh, of course, after I returned to uh, Hong Kong to work, and it was <laughs> such a tiny village in a tiny little 
uh, sort of a valley, but beautiful. But by the time I reached there, it's more or less abandoned. I, I went to look at our ancestral home, and no more than a few people lived there. But a lot of chickens <laughs> that they raised. Yeah. What made the move to Hong Kong? Oh, it's uh, for my wife, it's uh, the Indochina War. Uh, for myself, of course, there's conflict. Uh, at that time, the Indonesian uh, sort of politics uh, basically need to drive um, a lot of the Chinese uh, at that time uh, from Indonesia to back to China, a lot of them, but some of them actually moved to uh, Hong Kong as well. But of course, there are other sort of uh, bits and pieces, difficult to narrate everything. Yeah. When your family moved to Hong Kong, was it difficult for them to settle down in Hong Kong? I mean, what did your dad do for a living? Oh, right. Um, my dad, um, at that time, uh, when my grandfather finally sort of also um, did the same thing as his great-grandfather went there. Uh, at that time, a man who would actually move out to work in Southeast Asia and then the wives uh, will stay back home. Uh, so at that time, my grandfather actually worked as a very lowly paid job, <laughs> I think bus conductor, maybe in a, a shop somewhere. But he's got skills, you know, he's uh, managed to start to do business with the Dutch. At that time, it's a Dutch colony. Uh, colony. Uh, so, uh, of course, he managed to accumulate wealth. Um, so then sent for wife and, and the son, that's my father, uh, to Indonesia. But of course, as you know, 100 plus years ago, the man may have one or two or three wives. Uh, so that's the same for my grandfather. So uh, there are a lot of uh, family dynamics that one need to negotiate. So my mother <laughs> had a hard time. Uh, but still, uh, my father perhaps inherited the genes of able to do business. So he started again on lowly paid jobs and, and then he acquired the skills uh, and so on. But of course, fortune will never be there for your whole life. Uh, so at some point, uh, there's a downturn in terms of the business. So he gone bankrupt. Uh, of course, uh, you know, he, he got bankrupt twice, basically. <laughs> So uh, one of the things I've learned is that there's ups and downs in life and you don't take anything for granted. Yeah. And how did that impact your childhood, watching your dad's business go bankrupt twice? Well, um, you know, um, Hakka women are very tough and resilient. So it's the you same. You have a good role model. Uh, for my uh, mother, um, my mother's also Hakka. Um, the same for my great-grandmom as well. So. Uh, she managed to weather us, uh, all six of us, uh, through all this hardship. Um, but at that time, of course, when dad was still reasonably rich, I so sent my two elder brothers to study in England as well as in, you know, in, in, in America, once in Imperial College and the one is in Johns Hopkins, but it gone bankrupt. So <laughs> it's difficult for the two brothers to finish the, the study. But my mom said, no, you better just stay put and I will... I will find out ways and means. So she did, you know. So my my oldest brother graduated from Imperial and my second older brother didn't listen to my mom and I could remember that night when he returned home without noting my mom. She was so angry. She was studying medicine in Johns Hopkins. Uh, but of course, my mom's a very tough lady, so she won't stop. So after a couple of years uh, with all her skills and so on, and she sent him back to America. So she already retired, so she had a very successful life. So she graduated from 
from a good university as an accountant and worked all his way up in Toronto. So he's now settled in Toronto here. Yeah. And what about your childhood, Professor La? What were you like as a child? Did you enjoy studying? Were you, were you mischievous? Well, I'm one of those uh, quote-unquote uh, role model. Uh, but obviously, uh, that's because I'm the youngest, uh, the youngest in a big family. Usually, the youngest is the naughtiest. Sure. Uh, but of course, with all the family dynamics, that sure. uh, is not difficult for you to imagine. You have to be very sensing. Uh, I have to yes. uh, live through a lot of, uh, you know, uh, difficulties. You know, uh, dad's living in Jakarta, mom is here with all the children, and at that time, business up and down. So when the business is up, there are a lot of people around you. When the business is down, not many people around you. <laughs> so I learned as a young child, um, nothing is constant and don't take things for granted. And you have to be tough. And of course, you need to understand all the dynamics. Uh, so I understand the dynamic is that as the youngest, I need to shine. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, and of course, uh, with that uh, blessing, I, I, I feel very blessed because I've got good memory. I'm very focused. Uh, I understand people dynamics quite well because I've observed all the relatives and brothers and sisters and God knows what. Uh, and my dad obviously is very proud of me uh, at that time uh, and so on. And same for my great, uh, my grandfather as well. Uh, so I, I, I basically it's because of my uh, you know aptitude, I suppose, uh, that I excel. But you no, know, mom said no, Zai, <laughs> you better. At that time, that's bankrupt already. We couldn't send you out. But I'll give you enough dollars uh, for one year's tuition fee and a single air ticket. You just went to London uh, to your eldest brother who just uh, graduated and married and, and tau kao ke, you know. So that's what I did back in 1972. Uh, and of course, I didn't need to get a, another single pound sterling or dollar from my family. I worked my way through my O-level, A-levels, university, and so on. So I graduated from Glasgow uh, Medical School in 1980. So I did a lot of odd jobs, you know, uh, during summertime, I worked in, uh, you know, private hospitals, Harley Street as a theatre porter um, in, in, in an electronic factory to do all the stock ticking. And same for my wife. She also went to study in UK a few years afterwards. Um, so basically, I remember uh, at that time, um, her elder sister would say, because we were from the same village, you know, oh, I've heard this... Uh, actually studied there, why not you know, introduce this uh, younger sister to him so he could look after her. So I, I did look after her for the last uh, 50 odd years, you know. And so it's a bit of romance there, but you know, that's, uh, that's how we did, you know. And, and she actually worked in sort of ice lolly factory and so on. So at that time, we didn't think it's a chore and we didn't think that's a lot of big deal, it's not very tough. Or, but we just, all, all the Students that we know of at that time were a lot of odd jobs, very different from students nowadays, you know. But that, that's what the dates, you know. So I, I counted myself very blessed, really. Yeah. I don't complain, I don't feel I'm very, under a lot of hardship, I just enjoy it. And I could remember 1972 as a young boy, I didn't go to a, a very so-called mainstream school because I was new immigrants. So at that time in Hong Kong, I studied in a sort of a, a very grassroots uh, Catholic school just established by the Italian fathers. Uh, that school was actually terminated uh, because of the government policy of banning them, one, two, three, four, five. So I only learned it 
when I came back as a doctor, oh my God, you're band five. What does that mean? And then um, because of some of my schoolmates actually already graduated and actually was you know vice principal in that old school. Oh, now we're band three. Oh wow, wonderful! You climb up the ladder. No, now they only got one, two, three. We are still rock bottom. So no time at all. The school pack up, finished. But I tell you, during my time, uh, that school is in Wan Chai, because of no bending. So uh, my classmates actually came from the whole spectrum of the social classes. Uh, we still meet uh, every few months. Uh, some already uh, sort of retire, of course, um, and you've got you know a retired banker, the CEO of a very big American bank. Um, there's a, a Catholic priest uh, climbing up the ladder, but also got very grassroots uh, sort of a, you know um, sort of a job. You know, so at that time we understand each other, and I think because of that, we understand the societies comprise of various kinds of people. Not like now because of the bending. You know, the rich and the professionals will all go to that type of school, and then, you know, the other ones hasn't got the connections will end up in that type of school. So I think, in a way, I actually told at that time when I came back and the education bureau, you know, of, you know, secretary, ah, oh, is this not a good idea? I don't know why there's bending, but of course I'm not a, I'm, I'm a doctor, but I'm so a teacher. But I think uh, and then that should be what. Primary and secondary school should be, so they learn to grow up together. They understand one another. I remember uh, some of the poor ones would went up to Lam Tong Do Blue Pool and oh my God, your home is big for Christ's sake! And I know my home is tiny, but because we are young and we didn't look down on other people, we just live and we just play and become very good friends. Since 1960, you know, <laughs> so. I think uh, we must really examine why we have bending of you know, schools and so on. But anyway, uh, getting all the jobs and finally I decided I need to do medicine because of one person. I need to mention him because this is uh, very important to me and that is uh, Leung Bing Chung. Uh, maybe he, he might listen to this, I don't know. But at that time he was um, a Hong Kong government orthopedic surgeon sent to uh, UK to learn a bit more. That is back in 1972 and 73. Um, so it's a friend of my eldest uh, brother. And I said, my God, it's wonderful to be a doctor because he organized a trip for us, uh, young students as well as uh, people working in restaurants, takeaway shops. In 1973, he gathered a troop, about 20 or 30 of us, uh, to go to China, mainland China. So I was the second youngest in a group of 30. So we travel from Hong Kong to Guangzhou, and then to Changsha, and then to Xiaoshan. That's where uh, uh, Chairman Mao was born. You could you could thought this is a red trip, right? We we visited all the most important historical sites of the Communist Party, and then we uh, went up to Wuhan, and then we crossed the first bridge built by China across you know Changjiang. Uh, so excited. And of course, we visit all the beautiful historic places. Uh, and then we went up to Zhengzhou. There's a Hongqi Chu, and that is a red flag canal. And that is one of the signature engineering work uh, to bring water across the mountain to another part of, you know, uh, whatever villages, communes that lack water. And then we went up to Xi'an. 
that is the old capital, the Chang'an, for many dynasties, and then to Yan'an to look at all those, um, you know, Wang Tu Gaoyuan, and Deng Deng. So for a young person at that time, just 16, just hardly turning to 17, it, it is enormous impact on me. And then after that, we <laughs> should go to Beijing. But of course, uh, some of those who may know the history of modern China a bit better, that's the time when Lin Biao actually, <laughs> you know, uh, so we could not go to Beijing, and we we just cut short. We didn't go to Beijing, and uh, we went to you know you know Shanghai, Hangzhou, Suzhou. So that's uh, when I looked at oh my god, uh, that's China, right? And then we went back to uh, Hong Kong. So it had a lot of impression on me. But as a young person, I I know Guangzhou quite well because my eldest uh, sister. Uh, still living in Guangzhou, actually uh, elected uh, as overseas Chinese. She could either stay or come to Hong Kong, but she elected to stay with uh, her husband uh, in Guangzhou in order to work uh, there, to, 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 to work in order to achieve the ideals. But my, 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 my eldest brother-in-law is, uh, is a scientist in, in, in engineering, graduated from Huanang Gong Xueyan and my, my eldest sister is Huanang Long Xueyan. So both of them are of that kind of uh, idealistic uh, young people. Wow. And I'm sure your trip to China just opened up your eyes completely and it really sure. shaped you. Sure. So I thought, my God, if Ms. Dr. Liang Bingzhong could do that, and then, my God, what, what could, should I do? I want to be someone who could uh, do something for the society. No better than to be a doctor because uh, uh, he showed me uh, how to be... Uh, a good person, a leader with a big heart. So that's what I did. 